0: would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Zechariah chapter four. Zechariah chapter four. We live hectic and busy lives. We enjoy, I enjoy the thrill of checking off things on a list to make sure I've accomplished what the day would have me to accomplish. But the reality is sometimes as the believer, we can begin to see our action or our, our uh, hecticness, our busyness, our busyness, as an opportunity to show God that uh, we really do love him more than anybody else. And so I'm gonna do these things, I'm gonna work toward these things so that in my heart, I wouldn't wouldn't announce that to other people, but just my relationship to the Lord, I'm like, yeah, God's kind of got a a special place in his heart for me in that moment. I, I love, sometimes we forget that the Christian life, the key to the Christian life isn't in the effort, but it's in the source Martin Luther, one time, said that he was talking to a friend, and his friend said, what do you have going on tomorrow? And he said, it's a busy day. It's just chock full of things. So I've decided to spend an extra hour of prayer in the morning so that I make sure that I'm ready for the day. It's the source, not the effort, that we need in the moment. And the book of Zechariah was written to remind God's people that what he desperately needs and, and desires of us is that we would worship him with all of our heart. Now, Zechariah, the book, uh, the, uh, it's written for Zerubbabel. It's written for uh, Joshua, the high priest. And, and in, uh, when Israel came, knocked, or sorry, when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, they went into captivity, they came back, and their first object of, of business was to build the temple the place of worship toward God. And so they get there and Ezra uh, tells us that they, they established a foundation, an altar. They began to sacrifice. But then Haggai tells us uh, they just got busy in the moment. There were other things that came up. They, they started building houses. They started uh, um, caring for people, started having kids. Those kids had sporting events. You know how that works. It just over and over again Things happen and pretty soon now we're years down the line and the temple's not built. And every morning they wake up, they look out across the landscape and you see the rubble piled high from the temple before. It's just a reminder to them and to us that our hearts can be that way. So God sends Zachariah eight visions to encourage the leadership, Zerubbabel and Joshua, but then also to encourage the people that he's not done yet even though it looks like the worship of gods is in or the worship of god is in turmoil that he will be faithful to complete it and this is his fifth vision that he gives to Zechariah would you start with me in verse 1 and the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep and he said to me what do you see i said i see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. So here's this vision that God gives to Zechariah. And the, the vision is here's a, a lampstand, um, presumably the lampstand that would be in the temple that's not built. And the lampstand, though, this is a unique and magnificent lampstand. It's all of gold. And from what we're assuming of lampstands in that time, it was a cylindrical stand with a bowl on top of it. And on that bowl, there would be lips for the wick to, to burn. And, but, but usually one, one uh, light that's burning. But this is a unique one. It has seven and seven times or seven and seven pipes to the lamp. We don't really know what this is looking like in Zerubbabel doesn't give us a play-by-play. It's just a magnificent lamp. It may be that this one lamp had 49 lights. Or maybe seven and seven just means addition, not subtraction. It may mean 14. Either way, this is not your ordinary lamp. It's giving light that's shining brightly. We're reminded over and over in Scripture that God uses light as a, a metaphor for the revelation of himself. In Genesis chapter one, verse three, God said, let there be light. His words of declaration, the first words are that there would be light. In Isaiah 49, he, taught, he calls the people of God, Israel, to be light to the nations. Your job is to be a light that glorifies me, that everybody sees and goes, wow, God is the one who is in charge of you. And then in John eight, Jesus stands and declares, I am the light. This is a magnificent light, a revelation of God that is burning brightly in in a a place where the temple has not been built. But there's more. And behind that, that lamp, that light, there are two olive trees. And those olive trees, we learn later in the chapter that somehow um, there's, there's a way that the the there's a pipe that flows from the olive tree into the lamp. The olive tree, the source of oil, the source of what's needed in, in the, the uh, lamp to keep burning. And the point of this is that God can keep the light burning without man's help. The olive tree that God placed there will provide the oil so that the lamp and the light can shine bright. And it's not based on human hands. Man, if I'm a priest at that temple, I'm happy because I don't have to wake up at the nighttime to supply it with oil. I don't have to keep filling it with oil every time. Why? Because it has a sustaining oil for the people. In our house, we have this amazing invention. In our previous house, we had a wood-burning fireplace. And those are a lot of fun, except they're a lot of work got to go out. You got to chop down the tree or buy the wood. You bring it in. You got to tend the fire. Every 30 or 45 minutes, you're tending it. You're, you're helping it. You're adding more fuel. And then at the end, you have to clean all that mess up. And at the end of the day, was it really worth it? But in, in our house now, we have this thing called a gas fireplace. And the gas fireplace, all you do is light it. And the, and the oil runs in, the gas runs in, and it just keeps going and going and going. And I know you purists are not for it. You're like, that's cheating. I get it, I'm okay to cheat. Because <laughs> the best part of it is that the wood I'm burning, I'm not allergic to, so I'm not sneezing either. So it's a wonderful experience to watch the lamp burn. And that's exactly the message to Zerubbabel, to his people. Hey, God's got this. The light is still shining. In fact, it's not a tiny light, it's a giant And the oil to sustain it will not be sustained by human hands. Guess what? You're not going to be responsible to keep it lit in the process. Look at verse 4. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? So apparently... Uh, the angel's surprised that Zachariah doesn't catch the glimpse of what's going on. But when you think about it, I mean, it's been over 80 years since the temple existed and the the worship of God was taking place in that way. So Zerubbabel probably hasn't seen this. He doesn't understand what what is the message God's trying to, to connect with. Can you imagine a people who every day walk outside of their house and see and come to grips with their failure? Wow, we didn't follow God. And look at the results. Look at the rubble that's taken place because of our lack of worship to him. Sometimes that failure can begin to overtake you. I just wonder if, if Zechariah had forgotten the joy and the beauty of the light. You know, sometimes when the darkness presses in, we sometimes begin to question, is the light really that bright? Has it dimmed? So Zechariah says, what's going on? you got to help me here. What are you trying to say? And so the angel declares it this way. Look at verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountains? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. God promises the power to rebuild the temple. I'm going to accomplish what I said I'm going to accomplish, but there's a couple of caveats I want you to be aware of. The first one's this, it's not by your might. It's not by your strength. That, that term, really a military term, that, hey, it's not going to be the army you mass that makes everybody go, oh, no, we're in trouble. It's not going to be by your might that that takes place. We've seen in the history of Israel, sometimes they think, hey, we've got a big enough army. Or if we partner with other people, then then we're going to, by might, be able to do what God wants us to do. Secondly, it's not by power. That word really can mean the faculty, the strategy. It's not going to be the strategy that you employ, Zerubbabel, that's going to cause the temple to be built. But instead, it's going to be following Uh, My spirit, my power, my light that's burning, you follow me and we will accomplish this. I will see it done. I see in this a double promise. The first promise is this if we are, are walking in our flesh, God will not allow it to take place. If we're trying in our own might and power to accomplish something, guess what? He cannot let it be accomplished. Why? Because you would receive the glory for it. But the second promise is this when it isn't in our might or power, it's not in our strategic ability or our faculty, but it's when we listen and follow and obey the Holy Spirit that He will be faithful to accomplish it. God always finishes what He starts. He always finishes what He starts. Look again at verse 7. Who are you, a great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. He's talking about the preparation, I believe, of the site of the temple. Now, that mountain can be some mountain off in the distance. Uh, it can be the mountain of despair. But I think, really, it's probably literally the mountain of the crushed temple that's standing there before them. Who are you? I can take care of this mountain of mess in front of you. I can wipe it away and give you a clean foundation so you can worship me in the temple of God. Don't you love it that God handles the preparation? God's not just in the completion, he's in the preparation. And God can take a mountain and move it in a moment. I wonder today, what mountain is in front of you? If you were to say, you know what? There's, there's too great of a mountain, I, I cannot move it. This would be absolutely uh, unable for anybody to do. That's the type of mountain God specializes in. Where he takes it and says, finally, you're not focusing on your own might and power. Go ahead, try, push that mountain. See what happens, see how far you get. But when you're ready to come and allow my spirit to move, watch what I can do. That mountain is nothing. It'll be made plain. It'll be a foundation that you can build the worship of God, your hearts toward him. We see a beautiful picture of this in just a few years. When Nehemiah opens up the book before they come to build the walls of the city, when he opens up the book, he says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. And the question always is, how did, how did Nehemiah, this Jewish man, become such a trusted individual in the kingdom to be the cupbearer? When you're the cupbearer, that means you drink it first so if, if somebody tries to poison the king, you die. It's pretty important that he trusts you. And Nehemiah's there. How? I don't know. God prepared him for the task. He set him in place beforehand. Do you know God has prepared you for a task? God has placed you in a workplace, in a a neighborhood, in a city, in in a school that he can use you and prepare you for the task he's given you. And it will not be by your own might. You will not be able to go to God and say, look, God, look what I did for you. Aren't you proud? But instead it's by his spirit that he will see it accomplished. Not only does he prepare us, but he completes it. I love this part. Look at the last part of verse seven. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The the top stone or the capstone. In other words, uh, Zerubbabel, when we get to the moment when the temple is built, it's not going to happen overnight, but when the temple is built and the last stone is in place, everyone's going to stand around and they're not going to say, Zerubbabel, man, that was some great strategy. Wow, your leadership ability was amazing. No, they're gonna shout, God did that. That's grace. God's favor upon the people. That was not Zerubbabel. That was not Joshua, the high priest. That wasn't our effort. God did something supernatural, and everyone around, the nations around, can only say grace, grace to it. God's favor in that moment. Aren't you glad we serve a God who prepares us and who promises to complete us? He promises to complete what he started. Now, Zechariah, the book, as I said, is not just about the temple, it's about hearts. Because somewhere along the way, they had just gotten busy. It wasn't that the worship of God wasn't important, it just wasn't the most important thing. I wonder today in our lives, How do we treat the worship of God? The worship in its fullness, not just on Sunday morning or not just in song, but our lives of dedication and obedience to him. Our worship Monday morning when we go to work to say, God, this day is yours and I wanna be obedient and I don't wanna do it in my might or power, but I wanna be used of you to complete, to put a capstone on something that can only be described as grace. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul will say this about the church. That in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy what? Temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. That you there is a second person plural. He's not just talking to you, the individual. It's not just your body that's the temple. It's the church that's the temple. In Texas, we have a word for the second plural. It's y'all that God's working in y'all to build what he, he uh, desires and wants. And in him, he's using us to build a, a, a house, a people, not just a building, a house, a people of worship to him. Because in Zachariah's day and in our day, it's not about the building of the temple, it's about the heart that's dedicated to worship God. And when we respond that it's not by might or by power, but by his spirit. He has done the preparation. He will do the completion. So here's what I want us to understand today. God prepares and he completes what he starts. If God has started it, he has prepared it, and he will be faithful to complete it. He does not know uh, tasks that are left to do and not accomplished. He's accomplished every one of them, and he will be faithful to accomplish every one of them. Secondly, it's this, God provides what is needed for the task. If he's the one who's gonna do it, he's gonna provide for what's needed. Look at verse 11. Or uh, actually, go back to verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, so apparently we need a second encouragement because we didn't quite get the first one. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. I love this picture. Whoever's despised the small things, they're gonna see the plumb line, the the tool that makes sure the, the, the temple is level and complete in the hand of Zerubbabel. Don't despise the small things. In this season of our church, sometimes when we're so focused on big things, we can look over the small things. And in the hands of God, there is nothing small. Can I encourage you in this season of our life to continue being faithful in your scripture reading, to be a faithful prayer warrior. You say, Ben, do those things really make a difference? Those are such small things. And my word to you is absolutely. Continue being the church, reaching out to each other, loving each other, encouraging each other. Continue reaching out to your neighbors and sharing the good news of Jesus. Those small things in the hand of God become a mighty act of worship for his church, the body. So don't overlook the small things. As he works and completes his work in us. God provides what is needed. Look in verse Verse 11. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? So apparently, Zachariah still needs a little bit of encouragement. He makes me feel good. I do too sometimes. I don't understand. And the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? So apparently, on these two olive trees, there's some sort of a branch. I'll let you engineers figure it out where the branch is coming into the lamp and it's providing the oil. And so that specifically is what Zachariah is wondering about in the vision. What does this mean? So the angel tells him, verse 13, he said to me, Do you not know what these are? Apparently he was supposed to know. I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Here's what I believe this is saying. In the preparation, God had provided the leadership of Zerubbabel. And Joshua for just this season. And they were gonna be tools with which God used to continue and maintain and, and, and increase the light to the nations. Can you imagine what an encouragement this was to Zerubbabel and Joshua? I mean, after years of, of not accomplishing, like in a world's perspective, they just failed. They had one job to do and they did not do it. And in the midst of that, God said, no, 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 you are the men I've chosen to accomplish the task. I've been so encouraged this week in this passage to think about the elders that God has designed and set up for our church and to pray for them. And and to our elders, can I just say, God has put you here for just this time. He knew exactly the season we would be walking through and you are, are the men for the hour. And as a church, we wanna encourage and pray for that. But here's our prayer for you. And church, I wanna call us to pray this. They would not lead by their their strategy or by their brilliance or by worldly methods, but they, through prayer, together, would be led by the Holy Spirit and that we would see God do amazing things through the Holy Spirit. And here's what that means for us as a church. If that's my heart in prayer, then it means it's more important that they follow the Spirit than, than they do what I want or they accomplish what I want them to accomplish. No, no, no. If they're following the spirit, that's the task. Why? So that we as a church can continue to worship the God whose light never runs out. God's plans. He provides what he needs for the task. I just wanna encourage us today. The light in the temple is not in danger of going out. The oil is not getting low. There is still a continuous supply. God is not on his throne, biting his fingernails saying, what do I do next? We as a people, our task is to worship him in confidence that he has prepared us and will complete in us what God has called us to do. The gospel has not dimmed. The power of the gospel for salvation is not low and we can rejoice in it, live in it and declare it to others as well. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Those have been taken care of. He rose from the dead. He is coming again. And we can live with newness and freshness of life. And if you are doing it in your own effort, if you're trying in your own might and power, trying this Christianity thing, or just trying life, and you're going, this isn't working, this isn't working. Yes, because it's him that guides and leads. I wanna encourage you. Would you trust Christ today? I wanna plead with you. Come to Christ. Let him be the ruler of your life. Let his light shine in you. And at the end of this service, when we sing again, there's gonna be an opportunity. If that's your desire to come to trust Christ, I I encourage you, come right here, grab my hand, grab Matt's hand, grab somebody's and say, that is my heart and desire. I have tried it on my own. I have failed. His will be the one that, that accomplishes his work in me. The gospel is not them. So here's what I want us to take home today. God's plans are only accomplished in God's power. God's plans are only accomplished in God's power. If you read on, you realize that the temple gets built. It's a supernatural work. The people are are in unity together. They build it quickly. And at the end, it really is grace. People understand God did something fresh and unique. About a year ago, my youngest daughter, Lily, was one at the time, and she was playing with a toy, and it's that toy that like, has different shapes, and they go in different shapes in a hole in a bucket. I still enjoy playing with it. It's something therapeutic about dropping those, and when the shape is right, it just drops. It's great. So she was, she was playing with it, and uh, she was becoming frustrated because, in her mind, the star shape should fit in the square hole. And so she was she was trying hard. She was giving lots of effort. She was getting frustrated with it. And so I came over and I said, hey, hun, here's where you need to put that, right here. And she, in her one-year-oldness, said, no, I'm gonna put it here. This is where I think it should go. Okay, babe, let, let me try again. I'm gonna take your hand and I'm gonna guide it to the right place to which she... Threw it back and said, no, no, this is where it should go. Okay, and for a long time, with all her might, she sought to make it happen and make it work. And I just sat and waited until she was ready to be led. When she was ready to be led, I said, hey, let's do this. I just reached for her hand, and this time she held it over the, the, the star hole and let it go, and it went right in I thought, yes, maybe we've learned something. And I took it out, I gave her it back. I said, okay, where does it go? Right back to the square. Right back there. And she tried all the harder. I said, no, babe, look, look, look. And over and over again, this, this, this fight. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, Ben, that's you. You've spent so much effort trying to put a star in a square shape, thinking that I know the best. When if you'll just be led by me, if you'll just surrender, let me lead you, I can take you to the place where it takes place in such a way that God gets all the glory. Today, I wanna ask, where are you putting a star in a square? I mean, I get it. You're probably trying really hard. And you think, you know what? God wants this. I know it, so I'm just gonna push it in and you're tired and you're frustrated? Where are you a victim of the epidemic of efforts? I think there are three ways we can respond. The first one is this, I think we can worry more. Hey, maybe worry is gonna solve the problem. Maybe I should fret about this. Maybe I should sleep, or lose sleep. Maybe I should allow this stress to overwhelm me. And that's oftentimes our response. I just don't get this, it doesn't make sense. I can't figure it out, so I'm gonna worry about it. But when we come to the end of our worry, then we can try harder. Let's try harder. Let's see if maybe I didn't put enough effort into this fitting the star in the square hole. And when we come to the end of our effort, then maybe we surrender. Say, God, I'm gonna give you my heart and my hand And I'm gonna let you direct and guide me to the hole you want. It may not be the hole I want, but I'm gonna trust you that you're gonna bring me to the hole you want. And when it happens, everyone's gonna realize, wow, that was God. At the end of my life, when I lay here in a casket, I pray everything in my life leads to this moment that people wouldn't say, wow, he was great at strategy, He accomplished a lot of great things. But when the capstone of my life is laid, may people walk by my casket and yell, grace. That was God's favor. He sure didn't do that. That was God's favor in his life that empowered him to serve him. When this chapter of our church has completed, whatever that looks like, I pray that our city, our neighbors, the world, the college campus would all look around and not say, wow, those guys sure did something cool. But when God finishes what he's doing in this chapter in our church, that we would all in unison stand up and declare, that's grace, that's God's favor upon this place. Nobody else could explain it any differently. about you in your life? Is grace the overarching theme? Lord, do it in such a way. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for this word of encouragement. Lord, I thank you for your grace in our lives and in our time of need. And I just ask, Lord, that you would prepare and complete us for the task that you've given us in this time. But Lord, do it not in our might and power, but in your spirit, would you lead us? Lord, I pray for everyone out here who's facing a mountain, an impossible opportunity, doesn't know how to do it. Lord, would you help them put the the toy down and come before you at your altar and, and declare that they've surrendered and they're gonna follow you in that task. Lord, you do your work in and among us. In Jesus' name, I pray.